our reading today. Uh, it's from Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this time, again, that we are here, that we can worship you. Uh, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have for us today, that you would uh, move me aside and speak through this time, that you would uh, not have uh, us listen to words that come from my own lips or come from my own wisdom, but that they come from you, and they come from your Holy Spirit, and they don't fall on our ears, but they go deep into our hearts, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for uh, this moment, for this time, for this service, uh, and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is the third sermon in, in a four-week series uh, that is called Anxious for Nothing. Now, if you missed the other two weeks, don't worry about it. You'll be able to follow still. Uh, but if you want to, on our church's website, again, chapelinthepines.org, uh, we have those sermons up there uh, each week. So uh, I think it's a, a good, healthy topic for right now. How do, how do we talk about anxiety? Uh, but not from the idea of how do we talk about it uh, as humans? How do we talk about it in our own wisdom? But what does Scripture have to say uh, as we live in what is often uh, described as anxious times? So this summer, uh, a number of us from church here did a couple different book studies. Uh, some of us met on Sundays uh, over Zoom. The other ones met on Tuesday night over Zoom. Uh, and we read a book by a pastor named Max Licato called Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. Uh, a very good book, a very good topic, wonderful conversations. But we all ended it uh, kind of with the same thought, saying, uh, this has been so good, but how can we do this as a whole church? Uh, and the only way to do this as a whole church is to do it as a sermon series. Uh, so here we are, uh, three weeks into a sermon series on Anxious for Nothing. Now, as we start, I want you to, to think about and maybe meditate a little bit on uh, this simple phrase that we use a lot uh, in our society. We, we use often, uh, if only. The power that we give to these words, if only this or that. If only I was thinner, I'd have the good life. If only I was richer, I would have the good life. If only the kids would come home more often, I would have the good life. If only the kids would leave home, I would have the good life. If only I could have kids, I would have the good life. If only I could just move home. If only my skin was clear, 
If only my calendar was clear. If only my profession was immune to layoffs. If only I could buy that beautiful house in the mountains. I'd have the good life. You see, these two words, if only, uh, if they were a river, they'd be the widest river in the world. And, and I just think about it, and I wonder how many of us, day in and day out, find ourselves standing at the shore of this river, this river of if-onlys, just wishing we could get across. Standing at the shore, looking at what's on the other side, just wishing we could cross this river. How often do you find yourself there? Does it seem like the good life is always just one purchase away? One promotion away, one election away, one transition or one romance or one vacation or one achievement away. If that's the case, if if you hear that and it resonates somewhere in you, and I think it resonates in all of us to some extent, um, then, then I could say we've traced back some of our anxieties back to some of its roots. We've traced back your anxiety to one of its sources that you're in a hurry to cross a river and you're afraid that you may never do it. So what do we do? In our own wisdom, we work longer hours. We borrow more money. We take on new projects. We pile on more responsibilities, trying to buy that ticket to the good life. But the truth is that Scripture tells us that the good life begins not when our circumstances change, but when our attitude towards them does. Philippians 4, 4-6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. See, embedded in this powerful text is these two simple words, with thanksgiving. So today we're going to talk about gratitude. We're going to talk about what it means to live our lives in in the midst of anxious times, with gratitude, with thanksgiving. What does it mean to to present our requests to God, not in a way that means we turn around tomorrow and take them back. Not in a way that says, God, I'm dealing with hard things in my life. Here you go. And then the very next breath, I take them back into my own control. That's not what with thanksgiving means. What this simply means is we give it to God and we leave it with God. And we do so with hearts that look at ways that we've been blessed ways that God has been with us. Gratitude is this mindful awareness of the blessings of life. An anxious heart says, Lord, if I only had this, that, or the other, then I'd be okay. But a grateful heart actually looks at what God has blessed you with and says, look at what you have given me, Lord. Thank you for everything in my life, big or small. Every once in a while, uh, I try not to do it too often, but every once in a while I'll wake up on a Sunday morning and, and something comes to me and I think, i got to share this story that I wasn't planning on telling you. 
So this next part is a Sunday morning special. Uh, and what that means is if it sounds less, I don't know, rehearsed or something, uh, that's fine. But I think those moments are times where, where as a pastor, I think I'm called to be faithful to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And what the Holy Spirit wanted me to share with you today is a story of, of my, gran- my grandmother, uh, my, my dad's mom. We affectionately called her Coco. Uh, so if I call her Coco during the story, that's who I'm talking about. And Coco grew up uh, as a child in World War II Austria. Um, and, and she was real young, kind of before the war, and then during her childhood, the war started, and she grew up the majority of her childhood living during World War II. Uh, again, in Austria, uh, so she's real close to, to all the action, and uh, her family owned and operated an inn, and this inn had, uh, had kind of a bar at it and kind of a little restaurant, as many of them did, but they owned and operated an inn in Austria. Uh, obviously a very, very hard time to grow up, and that alone uh, should probably swell to the surface some idea of gratitude uh, in our own world and in our own time. Uh, but the story gets harder. You see, one day my great-grandfather um, went downstairs to get some alcohol. They, they kept it in the basement. Uh, they kept the liquor down there, and it was, it was cold, and it was damp, and it was you know, Eastern European basement, right? Uh, so he went down the stairs, and uh, he tripped and fell down the stairs. And he was very injured on the fall, um, and he actually laid at the bottom of the stairs in the cellar uh, for a good number of hours before it was discovered that he was down there. And he, he kind of immediately lived through it, but, but due to the, the damage from the fall and pneumonia that came afterwards from laying in this cold, dark basement, he had passed away. And now without a husband, my great-grandmother, uh, she was left uh, in this extreme state of poverty. And, and she was kind of forced to give away her two older sons to, to other relatives. You see, the older sons back then, they could, they could work. So they, there was some sense of like, you, you really didn't want to have to give them away, but she had these four young daughters that she also had to take care of. And, and the other family, the extended family, weren't willing to take on uh, one of these young daughters, but they were willing to take one of these sons because they could kind of help farm or whatever else. So her two older boys uh, went off to live with other family, and she was left with these four young girls, one of which was my grandmother. And uh, sadly, as, as sometimes this kind of stuff happens, there, there was an uncle in the family, my great-grandfather's brother, who uh, decided he, he should own and operate and run this inn that his brother used to own before he passed. So his family... Uh, they kind of kicked out my grandmother and, and my great-grandmother's family, um, and they started owning and operating the inn. So they, they had to leave, and they left with only the clothes that they had. Uh, and they were kicked out of that situation, and, and yeah, her uncle, my grandmother's uncle, uh, started owning and operating this inn. And I remember her telling me stories of this time of her life, uh, and my grandmother passed away a few years ago, uh, so these stories are kind of relics uh, in my family history. But she would tell us stories of going to school, and they were living in such poverty. And she would go to school, and she would see her cousins literally wearing her clothing. 
that was left in the closets uh, as they had to flee the inn. Uh, and, and they were so mean to them, and they looked so down upon them. And as the war went on, uh, it got harder and harder. And eventually, by the end of the war, they found themselves living in an uh, American-run refugee camp, uh, essentially, in Eastern Europe. Uh, refugee status wasn't officially a thing yet, because this was right after World War II. Uh, but that's basically what it was, what we think of nowadays as a refugee camp. They're fleeing war. Uh, they were actually people... Uh, who had lived in Austria for a long time, but they weren't Austrians. They were of German descent. And because they were of German descent, uh, the Austrians didn't want them after the war, as you can imagine. So they found themselves uh, not only in this state of extreme poverty, but living in this refugee camp. The story uh, goes uphill a little from there. The, my grandparents met uh, in the camp. They actually got married uh, during that time. They were, they were young adults by then. Uh, eventually, they got the ability to come to the United States and came over here and uh, raised their kids here. Um, but my grandmother should reflect on this time. And one thing that always stood out to me is that she would always end each story with saying, but God was with us. You know, these terrible things happened, but God was with us. God, God saw us through. And this wasn't something she was probably aware of at the time. But later on in life, as as she come to be a strong believer, she would look back at her life and she could see where God was with her during these difficult times, during these hard times. They didn't have much, but they had family. And they didn't have much, but they had the grace of God. And they didn't have much, but they had a Savior in Jesus Christ. So this is what I'm talking about when I talk about gratitude. I'm not talking about looking around and saying, uh, I wish I had a third car and I'm supposed to be grateful for two cars. I'm saying, it's like when you have nothing of earthly standard. And you can look around and you can say, but I have a Savior in Jesus Christ. But I have a Heavenly Father who loves me so dearly and who is with me. I have forgiveness of sin, an amazing gift. And while I might not have earthly possessions, these are the things I have. So I encourage you all to look around uh, in your own life. Just, just kind of close your eyes and just imagine your life. What do you see? What blessings do you have? Friends, family members, the grace of God, the love of God, any gifts, abilities, talents, or skills, all given to us by God. And here's where Scripture brings us today, because it tells us that as we notice these things, that anxiety grabs its bags and heads for the back door. That as we fill our minds with things that we are grateful for, uh, our hearts can't share the same space with gratitude and anxiety. The more we are uh, experiencing gratitude, the more anxiety, again, grabs its bags and it just heads for the back door. It just has to get out of there because it can't live in the same space. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, later on, in the book of Philippians, 
Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. See that last line, I can do I can do all things through him and gives me strength. That's one that we like to kind of throw around. We like to write it on stencils and put it high on our walls in our living room. And we like to put it on like a vase or that kind of thing. And we just kind of pick that out of there. But notice what's happening before it in the verse. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul says here that he has learned the secret to be content whatever life circumstances. And last week I talked some about the circumstances of Paul's life as he was writing this letter. They were anything but easy. He was sitting in a jail cell. He was in there because he told people who Jesus was. So Paul is sitting in a jail cell. He's under constant surveillance with no hope for release. Yet with shackles dangling from his wrists, he writes, I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. So does your happiness depend on what you drive? What your house looks like? What toys you have? What you wear or what you deposit? Who visits you and how often? You can't win this race. There's always something more. There's always someone who will let you down. The cycle is it's, it's very predictable. Uh, we're, we're kind of foolish, but we play the same race over and over again. It's a very predictable cycle. You assume that if I get the car, then I will be happy. And then you get the car, and the car gets old, and it wears out, and you look for joy somewhere else. If I could only get married, then I'd be happy. So you get married, but your spouse can't deliver that happiness. If we could only have a baby, if I could only get a new job, if I could only retire, if I could only buy that new house in the mountains that I've been dreaming of, if only the kids would visit more often, if only we could travel, if only we both could just be healthy at the same time. In each case, joy comes. And then it goes away. Soon enough, you, you look back at your life and you realize you've been riding this roller coaster your entire life, looking for something, not achieving it, or, or maybe you do achieve it, uh, but it only lasts for so long. 
and then you go down, and then you look for something else trying to achieve that. But Paul here, he points us to a healthier strategy in life. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The secret is that he learned to be content in what he had, which is remarkable because what he had was so little. He had a jail cell instead of a house. He had four walls surrounding him instead of the mission field that he had dreamed of and hoped for. He had cold, hard chains instead of the warm embrace of his loved ones. So how could he be content? You see, he focused on a different list. He had eternal life. He had the love of God. He had forgiveness of sins. He had salvation. He had Christ Jesus, and Jesus was enough. What he had in Jesus was so much greater than what he didn't have in the world. Death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, they can take away our joy, but they can't take away our Jesus. So what we have in Christ is so much greater than what we don't have in life. He can give you this level of happiness that won't be removed, that that won't go away. This firm foundation of living hope in the world. And hope is a powerful thing. And hope is such a powerful thing as we talk about anxiety. Because where anxiety thrives is where hope is lost. See, when we look to the future and we think it's going to be so much worse than the past, we're already right there on the edge of anxiety. And I realize I'm talking to a group of people who are living through a global pandemic. But when we look to the future with hope, and we say, we have good days ahead of us. And when we look at a church, and we look at a church in our community, and we say, Chapel in the Pines has good days ahead of it. We will do great things in this community. We will reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community, in this place. When we can live in that kind of hope, then anxiety heads for the back door. My last town that I was in, it was called Princeton, Illinois, and and we moved uh, close to a year ago now um, out here to California, but something that happened in the last year in Princeton, of course, they've been going through everything we have also, uh, minus the fires, because they're in the Midwest. Um... But they have, uh, what we joke about is that they experience uh, the wrath of God in a different way, called tornadoes. Um, and uh, what they actually had was this, this crazy storm in the Midwest. I don't know if you remember seeing in the news, but it was like essentially hurricane-level winds. Some of the winds were clocked at 120 miles an hour plus, uh, and they went kind of through Iowa and Illinois and, and through... And uh, we, of course, have many friends uh, from Illinois. So we got to see all these pictures of what our town that we lived in now looks like. 
after this wind came through. And the house that we owned there, there's this big, uh, I don't know, full-size maple tree, 80-plus years old, uh, that is now down on the ground, uh, just knocked down. Uh, actually, the top was torn out. They had to cut, cut it all the way down. But that story played out all over town. So the next day after this storm, people emerged, and we started seeing photos on Facebook and other social media forms of these trees all over town that were just laying flat. Uh, and it seems weird because it's trees. You know, it's, it's not like it's, it's people. We care more about houses that were hit and if people were injured, of course. But these were trees that I knew. Like, it seems different when you live in a town, but, like, they weren't even necessarily a tree in my yard. But uh, as, as you drive into town, you get to kind of the historic part of downtown, and there's this park on the right, and there was a big tree right there along the side of the road, and the tree is flat. Full-size tree, the roots are tore up. Uh, it's just laying there. The tree, you know, in front of the high school uh, where I did so many youth ministry things, where I coached tennis, that the trees are just laying flat, you know, next to these places. The trees in yards of, of former church members of mine uh, are just all laying flat. And it, it got me thinking about uh, these storms of life that come. And, and they do come. Uh, in life, that's the one thing that's predictable about life, is the storms will come. Either you're in one right now, or you should hopefully be beginning prepared for one, uh, spiritually, emotionally. Um, the storms will come, uh, and sometimes it feels like there's 120 mile an hour winds. Uh, and, and what we do there is, is the sirens go off, and we, we hide in the basement. Uh, and, and we just have a couple flashlights. And I remember having little kids and the sirens going off and we'd read books and, and the parents try to act brave. Uh, but your anxiety is high also. And, and these storms, they come through. And it doesn't matter how big the tree is. It really doesn't. Uh, the biggest trees in town were knocked down like they were little. What mattered was if they were alone. Do you get what I'm saying there? The big trees, even standing by themselves, were still uprooted because they stood alone. But the smaller trees, even if they were weaker, if they were in, in a cluster of trees, if they were in a community of trees, they could stand the wind together. And they did. As, as people drove through town and took pictures, you would see a group of four or five trees that are much smaller, much weaker, clearly less root system, but because they all felt the wind together, they weren't knocked down. And I think some of us are trying to live the Christian life like a big, strong tree standing out in the field. We think that if we only have a strong enough devotional life, if we only read scripture enough ourselves, if we only pray enough ourselves, that somehow, no matter what the storm comes, that we'll be able to hold up against it. Well, here's the news. Sometimes you can. And sometimes the storm has a 20, 120 mile an hour winds. And they say it's once in every 300 years kind of storm. And if you're not in community, if you're not together, if you're not doing things together, if you're not growing in your faith together, if you're not 
one church or one body who's 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 growing and and trying to mature in in what you know of scripture and who you know of God then when the big storms come they're going to knock you down so what do we do we can't just live our lives in anxiety of the big storm that may come instead we need to devote our time to each other we need to get to, get to each other we need to to become one body as the church is called to be we need to grow in our faith together we can't have uh someone way over there who's who's strong and is on their own and and we all look to them and be like oh what a what a beautiful uh saint they are you know what, what a pillar of faith these pillars of trees fell down so that's my encouragement to you in this fall. Is I want you to think as we enter the fall, yes, we're in this time of COVID. Yes, we can't meet together like we normally do. And, and we sit here and we're spaced out. But that doesn't mean that, that we have to stop growing in our faith. That doesn't mean that as we get to this fall and this wintertime, that discipleship just ends. That, that we don't somehow do something like, like the life group ministries that we have been doing, our small groups. That, that those, those just stop. Maybe they look different, and they have to pivot, and they have to change, but that's okay. The point is the mission. The point isn't how we're doing it. How we're doing it is just how we've become accustomed to doing the mission. Our mission is to love God, to love others, and to serve others. And my word of hope for you today is that we can do that really well right now. We just can't do that how we've always done it. And I hope that's not discouraging, because <laughs> I find that hopeful. I find it hopeful that we can, we can love God really well, right now, in the midst of this time, in the midst of this anxiety. And we can love others really well, right now. In some ways, I think we can do it better than before. And we can serve each other and serve others really well, right now.